And really what I want us to look at this evening is prayer. It's unsurprising reading a passage like that. And as we come to a prayer meeting, I want us to look at the glories of prayer, the privileges of prayer. One uh, preacher famously said that no man is greater than his prayer life. I think there's a lot of truth in that, isn't there? That none of us are greater. None of us by ourselves are good. We are wholly reliant, fully reliant on him. And when we look at a passage like this, what we see is Paul is entrenched and captivated by the power of prayer. Paul is constantly reminding people of the importance, of the urgency, of the need to pray. And I want to remind us today as we gather and as we're going to pray later, when we pray, it's not just words for each other, though it is helpful in public prayer. It's not just words that bounce off the ceiling or echo around the walls or escape from the windows. Our words go up directly to the throne room of Jesus Christ. Our prayers are heard. Our prayers are listened to. And that's what I want us to be reminded of today. That when we pray, we are heard by God. God hears us. And I think often we can forget and lose sight of the power that prayer is. My intention tonight is not for you to pray in a prayer meeting. My intention is for you to go home and still be praying, still be worshipping, still be seeking after our God. And so really what I want to try and do is look at the who, the what, the when and the how of prayer. So I, I have got two and a half hours it is, isn't it? Um, but that's what I want to try and do. Look at the who, the what and the when and the how of prayer. And I'm largely going to be focusing from verse, uh, from verse 9 onwards. And so let's begin at the who. The who is, who are we praying for? Who are we going to pray about? Now hopefully we know who we're praying to. And there is great confidence that the one that we pray to is the one that we have a relationship with. We pray to a God who we are connected to. But who are we to pray for? Well, Paul reminds us in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now we get a glimpse, if you look at verse 7 and verse 8, we get a glimpse of who Paul is talking about. Verse 7 and 8 say, Just as you learned it from uh, Ephraphus, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Paul here is basically saying that, we should be, that he is praying for Christians. He is praying for believers. You read verses 7 and 8 and that is a glowing recommendation, isn't it? And it's not just a glowing recommendation, it's a glowing recommendation from Paul himself. And so Paul is giving this good recommendation and Paul is praying for Christians in good standard, in good stature. Paul is praying for Christians who are walking with the Lord. And I think often as churches we're really good at praying for people if they don't know Jesus. And if you don't pray for people who don't know Jesus, maybe this is a, a rebuke to begin and to start and to improve. And I encourage you, pray 
to those who do not know Christ. Because you pray to the only one who has saving power to help that person. But I think often churches are good at praying for people. And if they ever make a profession, if they come to know Jesus Christ, we give thanks to God, don't we? We celebrate, but then weeks or maybe months later, prayers dry up for that person. I wonder how good are we at praying for the church? How good are we at praying for the people around us? I wonder how good are you at praying for the people in front of you, behind you, to the sides of you? I wonder how good are we at praying and bringing other people's problems and burdens to God? What we see here is that Paul has heard a report and he prays. What else can he do? Paul is limited in what he can do, but he can take people to Jesus Christ. I wonder when was the last time that we as a church, prayed and prayed for each other. We are one family. And what if we show love and care and concern as a family through the way in which we pray for one another? Pray for the people around you. We don't fully know or understand the difficulties, the struggles, the trials, but we have a God who knows all. We have a God who understands all. I encourage you to pray for one another. Pray for the people around you in a world that is so hard to live for Jesus. In a world that we might think is becoming increasingly darker. I think when we look around the church, it can be so easy to complain, can't it? When you look at other church members, church is difficult, isn't it? Because of one thing. There's one thing that makes church difficult. And that's people. That, that is the root cause of every problem in every church, isn't it? People. I wonder how much we are praying to Almighty God that he would work in us. When was the last time we prayed for, for each other? That you as members of this church prayed for each other that you would know more of Jesus Christ. That so-and-so would know more of Christ. That so-and-so would grow. Paul talks here about being filled with the knowledge of his, his will. Being filled. Not just have a little bit, but filled. When was the last time our prayers for each other were that as a church, we would all see the glories and splendor of Jesus Christ? Paul prays for a church. And the gospel is, is so simple in a sense, isn't it? The gospel is that we have done wrong and a holy, perfect God cannot Forgive us. Cannot look past what we've done wrong. And so Jesus Christ, God himself, came down to this earth to die upon the cross for it was the only way for God to forgive people like me. That's the, the gospel. And it's simple, but I'll put it this way. I meet a lot of people and when I see them, they, they always seem a few inches taller. I wonder, do you know people like that? You see them and they're always getting taller. That should be the spiritual life of a Christian. Every time we see each other, when we meet each other, a Christian should never stop growing. We know the gospel if we're a Christian. But oh, to know it more. Oh, to know it deeper. Oh, to love him more. Oh, to think about him more. Oh, to see the Lord moving and working through each other in a real and powerful way. 
We don't want each other to be waning in the faith, do we? We want people to be sanctified, to be lifted up, to be set on fire. As we gather together, we want to encourage each other and build each other up. I encourage you, pray for one another. That's the who. My second point is the what. What should we pray for other people? Now, looking at me, you'll fully understand, I'm sure. I might not look like a natural surfer, but that's because I'm not a natural surfer. I'm terrible at surfing. But I have been surfing, and I have been forced to do it on occasion. Now, on a Christian camps, I'd go surfing, and I, I mastered surfing, I must say. What I would do is I'd paddle out, and I would just lie on my board and let the wave gently bring me back to shore. It was lovely. And you'd see everyone else trying to stand up and trying to ride the waves. And I would just lie there lazily on the sea. This image of me being lazy makes me think, is that what our Christian lives are like at the moment? Do we need to be praying for one another that we are shaken, that we are stirred, that we are moved, that we're not just lying there waiting for the, the waves to carry us by, but we're active. We're doing things, we're going out, we're seeking after him. Prayer is so vital and prayer is so important. I love the great hymn, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We know our human hearts, don't we? We know how far away from God we are. Pray for one another that we might be closer to him. Pray that we would never take our eyes off Christ. Pray that we will always be closer. Pray that we would know him more and deeper. In verse 10, it's a very helpful reminder of what we should pray. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the full knowledge of God. What a prayer for us to pray for one another. What a prayer for you to pray for yourself as well, but pray for each other as well. Oh, that we might walk in a manner worthy to the law. There's one group of people I'll never understand, and it's people who walk up escalators. You know when an escalator's moving, I, I don't move at all. I stand there rigid to the spot. I, I don't move, but we encourage you so as to walk in a manner. There's something to do. We shouldn't be lazy Christians. We should be constantly walking and moving and striving, keeping in step with him. It's so easy on an escalator to not, to not move, to just stand there, put no effort in. Don't let that be your Christian life. Walk with him. Pray for one another that we might be walking with him. Walking's a verb, isn't it? And I don't like verbs because they're doing words. It requires effort. It requires work. Pray for one another that we might walk close to him. Verse 9 says that we asking that you may be filled. I want to ask you this. What would Bethel look like if every member was filled? What would Bethel Cliddock look like if every member was walking with the Lord? What would Bethel Cliddus look like if everybody was bearing fruit in every good work 
and increasing in the knowledge of God. I wonder what does a church like that look like? What does it look like if we are striving after him? If we are growing in him, if we are leaning on him, if we are dependent on him, this is what we are to pray. Don't just imagine a church like that. Pray for a church like that. Pray for one another in difficulties and hardships. Pray for each other when the world is encroaching. Pray that, oh, they might be filled. Oh, they might walk with him. Verse 11 says, Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance with patience and joy. Prayer is powerful. Why? Why is prayer powerful? Prayer is powerful because of the person that we're praying to. Verse 11 says, according to his glorious might. If you pray to me to do something, I am incapable of helping you. I won't even be able to hear your prayers, let alone do something about them. Here we are called to pray to Almighty God who has power to do something, who has the might to do something. This is what we're to do, to pray for each other because he has the power. We pray to the God who has the power to save, the power to wake the dead soul, the power to deal with the backslider, the power to overcome in our lives, the power to overrule governments going against God. Our God is the sovereign Lord of everything. There's nobody who can compare to that. There's no one who can stop that. And every one of us has access to God the Father. Every one of us has access to God through prayer. So the question is, that's what we should be praying for. The question is, when? When should we pray? Well, at a prayer meeting, so hopefully now will be a good time to pray. But is that the only time? Well, let's look at the example of Paul. When does Paul pray? Paul says in verse 9, From the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. That's what Paul's prayer life is like. Paul's prayer life is one that doesn't stop. Paul hasn't stopped praying for them. He's continually praying for them. Such is his heart for God's people that he prays and he prays and he feels like he needs to pray again. I wonder when was the last time we loved each other enough that we couldn't get them off our minds, that we couldn't stop praying that each other would be built up and encouraged in Jesus Christ. I wonder, would your prayer life make a good roller coaster? What do I mean by that? Well, many of us, we, we pray lots, don't we? And then it goes down a bit. And then, and then, and then we feel on, empowered and on fire. And we pray lots and, and then it goes down. And Paul's prayer life would be a really boring roller coaster. Just constant, just flat, just smooth. I wonder, what's your prayer life like? Are you somebody who doesn't cease to pray or somebody who doesn't start? to pray. And it's not even just about frequency of prayer. Sometimes we can pray, but it feels like stale words. Sometimes we can, we've gone, oh, well, I've done my prayers today. I've said my prayers, but it's a heart lost in the love and power of Jesus Christ. I wonder, when do we pray? Some people only pray when they need something. Some people only pray when they put money on uh, the lottery and they think that'll help them to win. I wonder, when do we pray? 
Paul's prayer life was a life that had not ceased. I think many Christians' prayer life is a prayer life that's deceased. It's dead. And if your prayer life is dead, if your prayer life is not like Paul's, I mean, whose is? Now is a chance to rectify. Now is a chance to say, Lord, I need to be more dependent on you. This church needs to be more dependent on you. Every church needs to be more dependent on you. Every Christian needs more and more dependence on him and less dependence on our own abilities. Paul's prayer life is an impressive thing. And what we see through Paul's prayers is he prays when he prays because his heart is in it. Oh, his love for God's people is so great. I just want to remind you that Paul, throughout a lot of his mission, a lot of his uh, Christian life was imprisoned. Paul was imprisoned for a lot of his work. And maybe some of you need a reminder. Maybe some of you are thinking, well, I, I don't know what to do. I, I wish I could help more in the church. I wish I could serve more at church. I wish I could be a greater help, but I'm getting older now. I don't go out as much anymore. I haven't got the time. I haven't got the energy. I, I can't really do anything. I wish I could help the church. I wish I could serve, but, but I can't really do anything. I think that way of thinking is absolutely wrong. Because if you are a Christian, you, tonight, this very moment, have access to the Almighty Lord, the King of the universe, the ruler of all, the one who can save, the one who saved you, the one who has the power to save others, the one who cares about you, the one who loves you, the one who loved you to the cross the one who resurrected in glory, the one who's seated at the right hand of his Father. We pray to a God who is all supreme, all powerful, the consuming fire. And yet sometimes we think, oh, well, I can't really do much. <laughs> you can pray to that God, that God of all power. All of us can do something. It's amazing how Christians can sit at home and think, I've got nothing to do. I've got nothing to offer the church. Oh, but our prayers. I'm certain that when we get to heaven, there will be people wearing crowns. So many crowns, maybe covered in crowns, that maybe we didn't expect. And maybe it's because in private, in secret, nobody knew, but they prayed without ceasing. I'm convinced that there will, will be ministers and pastors there who are absolutely uh, receiving of less honours than those people who quietly sat and prayed. Pray. And in many ways we might never see the full extent of our prayers, the full outworkings of our prayers, but know this, that every prayer is heard by the Almighty God. That should change the way we pray, shouldn't it? That every prayer is heard. He hears, he knows. There's no Christian who can do nothing. For every Christian can do something. Every Christian can go to the almighty God. The most powerful God. I don't think there's a, a Christian leader 
that could stand unless he is saturated and supported by the prayers of his church. Pray to Almighty God. People often say that uh, the prayer meeting is the engine room of the church. It's where the action happens. Why? Because we are calling on the one whose work it is. We're calling on the one who is the head of his church to move and to work. It's one of the greatest works of the church. Oh, to pray for each other. God will never put you on hold. He's always listening. He's always available. He's always there. The almighty God listening to every word that mumbling old me says. That doesn't sound like nothing to me, does it? All of us can do something. And just in closing, I want to look at the how. How do we pray? Sam, you, you've spoken about, how, about who we should pray for. You've spoken about some of the things that we should pray. You've spoken about frequency and when we should pray. But how do I do it? How do I grow my prayer life? How are we supposed to pray? Some of you might be thinking, I don't like praying in public. I don't know what to pray in public. Some of you might be thinking, I go home and I go to pray and I run out of things in 30 seconds and I don't know what to pray for. Well, I do believe in uh, this passage in Colossians that we read. I think we get things to pray for at the end of this section. I think Paul outlines a few things and I read them and I just think this is what we can pray. This is what we can pray and hopefully we'll never stop praying it. Verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father. I'll stop there. You don't know what to pray for? Be thankful. Whatever your circumstance, God has given you gifts that you do not deserve. Give thanks. You say, oh, I, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to say. Open your mouth and say thank you to God. Giving thanks to what he has done for us. Giving thanks to how every day that we've made a, a mistake. Every day you've messed up. He's not left us. He's not forsaken us. He's not abandoned us. Thank him that he's kept every promise. Thank him that he's kept you, that you're still standing, that you're still going. I'm sure we've all been through situations where we say, I just can't face another day. And then the next day comes, you're still there. And the next day comes and you're still going. Our God holds us, our God keeps us. Give thanks to him. Still in verse 12, give thanks to the Father who has qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Thank God that you have done things wrong and yet you are still qualified to share in the gifts that he gives. The Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's wonderful, isn't it? That you have been qualified. Now, I don't know if you used to cheat when you were younger in exams. I'm guessing in a room this size, at least one of you did. I'm not going to try and guess uh, which one of you. But I'm guessing some of you used to cheat. And I wonder, did any of you ever get caught cheating? 
Because in an exam, if you're caught cheating, your entire exam paper is over. It doesn't matter if you've answered every question right. It doesn't matter how brilliant your answers have been. If you've been caught disqualified, there is nothing you can do. The examiner's not going to read the paper. Put a big line through it and just do a big zero. We have made ourselves disqualified from the kingdom of God, if I can put it that way. We've got no merit of our own. We're not worthy enough to talk to him, to stand before him. The only thing we've qualified for is an eternity in hell. That is what we're deserving of. But he has qualified you to share in the inheritance. Isn't that wonderful? I say, I, I don't know how to pray. I don't know, well, I, I don't know how I could utter words. I just, I get muddled and I don't know what to say. Pray for this. Thank God that you messed up and yet he loved you still. Thank God that you were undeserving. And yet he said, you are qualified. Not just to be with him, but to share in his inheritance as sons and as daughters. When we read this, when we understand this, when we think about this, this should warm our hearts to a point of prayer and to praise and worship and adoration to him. Now if I came round your house and helped you with your electrics, one or both of us would be electrocuted. Now, I, I can promise you that one or both of us would be electrocuted because I'm not qualified as an electrician. I have got absolutely no right to go anywhere near a fuse box. Because of what we have done wrong, we have got absolutely no right to enter into the kingdom of God. And yet, we can't do anything we can't declare ourselves qualified, but he has declared us qualified. He allows us to enter in and to have ownership with him. Give thanks to the Father who has qualified you. There is nothing that you could do to earn salvation, and so Jesus did it for you. And because of him, we are qualified. Nobody can say, hang on, now you shouldn't be here. Nobody can say that if Christ has declared you righteous. Verse 13. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So how am I supposed to pray? Remind yourself of what Christ has done for you. That though you were in darkness, though your life was a mess, you have been transferred you have been moved from darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. One day, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ, you will see him. Is there not praise in your heart from that? I love, the, I love this idea of being transferred from one to the other. Whenever I log into my uh, bank account, there's, there's normally a lot of zeros in it. Uh, normally at the beginning, which is a shame, not at the end. There's normally not very much in it, but if a friend has transferred me money that they owe, isn't that always a lovely surprise? I log on to my bank and I've got more money in there than I thought I had. Money from somebody else's 
account has been transferred to me. I can enjoy these riches because somebody else has transferred it to me. What praise, what worship, what prayers should this produce this evening that though we were here, we have been transferred to be with him. We're not just being transferred into a a paradise. We're going to be transferred where he is. The one who loved us, the one who died for us, the one who gave everything for us. We will see him. And I love how this uh, passage comes to an end. Verse 14. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. We're going to be transferred to the kingdom of the Son. In whom? In the Son. In Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. don't care how long you live, you will never exhaust praise for that single statement. You will never run out of praise for that because in him you have redemption. You've been redeemed. You've been rescued. You have the forgiveness of sins. It's Christmas coming up, isn't it? I hate to remind you. I, uh, I know it's still November, but already shops are filled And already children are begging their parents, can I have this? Can I have that? I love it at uh, Christmas when children open up presents and they go, oh, socks. I didn't want them. And uh, if their parents were anything like mine, my parents would always say, you might not want them, but it's what you needed. I say this, There is nothing anyone needs more than forgiveness of their sins. No greater problem, no greater issue, no greater consequence if we don't deal with our sins. But in Jesus, we have redemption. I love definite words in the Bible. They were some of my favourite. Imagine if verse 14 said, in whom we perhaps maybe might Some of us, it's a bit touch and go. That doesn't offer any hope, does it? But what we read here is in whom we have redemption. If you know Jesus Christ, you've been rescued. You've been set free. You have this forgiveness. Your greatest need has been dealt with. I wonder if we truly understand how much he loves us. How much he's done for us. How much he's forgiven us. How can we be a people who are not constantly praying? Oh, that we might know more of Jesus Christ. Oh, that the Spirit might move and warm our hearts so we can do nothing but pray for people. How wonderful is it that we have been transferred from darkness into his glorious 